Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. to this episode of the Denver Stiffs Show. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night when we are recording now. Should have this posted up on Friday. Uh, joined, of course, uh, we have Gordon Gross, senior writer for Denver Stiffs, is on with us. Zach Mikosh is away. Uh, Gordon, how are you, man? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, trying to digest every new bit of NBA information that comes out. You know how it is. We get little trickles been, every day. Yeah, it's it's. I've been, I've an inkling to just keep trying to talk about as many things as possible. Try to digest as many things as possible. We keep getting little stuff. We keep getting little tidbits here or there. But everything still feels so far away. Uh, it's it's just it's moving at a snail's pace for me. What about you? Same. And I'm I'm still trying to figure out the plan. Like the plan keeps changing. You know, we're going to talk about some of that tonight with the you know the secondary bubble that they've been talking about, but that they just brought up today. Like how, how does this stuff keep being proposed, but not finalized when we're this close to having to, to have everything ironed out and begin. That's what can keeps confusing me. So yeah, we're going to get into that tonight. Yeah. I'm excited too, because we, we do have some things that we could definitely, we're going to piece together a great episode for you guys. We are going to, we're going to talk about some of the highlights from Michael Malone's presser on Wednesday. Uh, we got a cool video for, of bull bull dunking that, that I definitely want to touch on. And then we're, we're of course going to talk about the, the non Orlando teams are trying to finalize something that they're going to do between now and next season. Uh, not sure what exactly is going to happen there, but we got a report from Jackie McMullen that, Hey, we'll, we'll, We'll just have to play that by ear. And then we're going to get into some Twitter questions and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, let's start. I think, I think the best place to start is what happened on Wednesday. It was on Wednesday afternoon. Michael Malone spoke to the press for the first time in a while, nearly two months. Uh, Malone, among other coaches and players, has really been promoting these messages of racism, inequality, and more and that's what he wants to focus on when he's in the bubble. He he doesn't want to lose sight of the greater picture that has been going on. Uh, that was something for me that I was really impressed by from Michael Malone. He's really seemed to take this to heart and leading by example as one of the important kind of white figureheads in, in this whole thing. Uh, uh, what do you think of Michael Malone just kind of taking the stance that he's taken over these last few weeks? Well, Michael Malone, he was out at the protests. He was he was walking with his mask on. Um, you know, he keeps um, verbally, you know, bringing up Black Lives Matter in positive ways. He's trying to figure out how to best use his his podium to impact um, the future um, for young people, for his players. Uh, I love I love all of it. I love that that Josh Kroenke got on with uh, Karan Butler on on Thursday. 
um, and talked a lot about, you know, trying to to figure out what it is that that he can do or that the NBA can do, you know, from a more of an ownership perspective. Um, you know, with Josh being, you know, Josh played basketball at Missouri and, and Josh um, played basketball against Karan Butler in high school, actually. Right. So, like, they know each other, like... You know, he is, of all of the owners in the NBA, probably one of the most familiar with what players might be feeling because he was a player in college. He didn't have the same background. You know, he, he, uh, he yeah, didn't scrap from a, little a lot of places. There. A little different. Yeah, not, 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 didn't drag himself out of any, any predicaments there. That was, that was pretty much handed to him. But he, he is is able to see more sides of it than most people who are as rich as he and his family are. Yeah, and that's, and that's important. That's a that's an important piece of this. That hey, uh, so many owners are in a completely different spot, are in a completely different environment than so many of the players are. It's just it's just different tiers to this. Like as as rich as the players are, most of them grew up in backgrounds that Josh Kroenke and and many owners just can't even fathom. Now, Josh Kroenke's right. one of the owners, like as as we were talking about before this, that hey, he might actually relate really well to some of these guys in, in some of these situations because at least he was a player. At least he was somebody who went through some of those trials and tribulations and can speak speak on some of those things. Yeah, and so he spoke on some of that today. That was really good. Um, and Malone has done the same thing where he's he's listening to his players. He's trying to help them find their voice for this. He wants to throw his voice in with their voices, you know, and to amplify their message. And honestly, that's all you can really ask. Like, the Nuggets, Tim Connolly was out doing the same thing. Like, the Nuggets front office has been very, very clear from ownership to front office to management to players that this is important to all of them. Will Barton spoke about that. You know, um, it, there are there are a lot of people on the Nuggets who um, are, are very invested in social change. And it's great to see them be involved in their communities, to be involved in... Um, the things that matter to their communities from the players on up. And so, yeah, I love that part of Michael Malone's presser. I really did. Definitely seems to be his greatest focus. Definitely seems to be something that he is super invested in. And I'm, I'm glad to see it. It's, it's great to have a leader like that. Um, one thing that also came from this, Nikola Jokic still isn't back in the United States. As of that Wednesday presser, he might have been back ever since yesterday or whatnot. But... Uh, we're going to have to see how that pans out. It was said that he won't be able to go back on the plane with the with the Denver Nuggets team. He'll actually be traveling separately in order to get down to Orlando. So it's a little bit of a wrinkle, but nothing that I don't think is, is really unforeseeable. Well, if, he, if he was, yeah, if he was able to fly in, then he passed quarantine to get out of his country. Like he got out of Serbia, so. Yeah. Um, in order to do that, there are certain restrictions and, and things you have to follow. So they are going to have to keep him quarantined per their own procedures for a little longer, which is why he can't go with the team to Orlando. Um, but all indications are that he is fine. It's not a Spencer Dinwiddie situation where Spencer has massive symptoms and is going to be facing an uphill road um, in order to be at full strength um, anytime in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, whereas Nicole Jokic doesn't have that, and that's good news. Now we haven't heard anything um, on the rest of the positives from the Nuggets, correct? 
no, we haven't. And and Malone made a point of that to say, hey, I'm going to keep their anonymity uh, because that is what that's the moral and ethical thing to do in this situation. Uh, and and we're just going to have to wait and see. Like if one of those, well, we'll find out who doesn't get on the plane, right? Yeah. If yeah. if they don't get off the plane, then that's going to be a, a pretty big deal. Uh, and the focus of the team really in all of this just seems to be mostly getting into Orlando in one piece, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and trying to keep things as simple as they can. Uh, right. which doesn't surprise me because like, like eliminate the basketball for a second. These guys are in this situation that nobody's ever really been in before. Like we, we haven't ever had to deal in, with anything like this and these playoffs, this environment is going to be so different and so uh, taxing. And, and, and I, I can't even think about the, the mental endurance that it would take to have to go through the entire process rather than just playing. Well, it's going to be so strange for them. No, no fans in the arena. Really? You, you can't leave your hotel. You're just stuck. Like you're not traveling. So normally the normal routine of the NBA involves a lot of travel. You're not traveling. You're staying where you are, but not at home for a very long time. And you're playing what are essentially scrimmages for a title. Like you're going to be playing in basically an empty building where you guys are playing like it's on the playground. You're going to hear each other cussing and like, you'll be able to hear every word every coach says. Like, you know, the NBA is going to have to be uh, uh, delayed so they can uh, manage to hit the the mute button every time, like you know, the the players start cussing at each other. Right. It's going to be fabulous. Everyone on the court basically going to be mic'd up. So from a viewer point of view, it's also going to be very unique. But for the players, you've got to bring your own energy. You can't get amped up by the fans. You can't like feed on the arena energy. It's just you and your friends playing some other people, like for all the marbles in the world for the biggest trophy in your sport. It's a very strange thing. Um, and so, yeah, they're trying to keep it as simple as possible to keep people focused, to try not to make a big deal out of it, even though it is a big deal. Um, you're going away to basketball camp and you're going to try to win a title. It's very strange. This is where the profile of a coach like Michael Malone is so important. He was he's really talked about as a player's coach, as somebody who can relate to his players, who can get the most out of them, connects with them on an emotional level and really just just is is one of the best in the game at doing that and that's that's his claim to fame as a, as a coach as as opposed to some of the the more tactician style coaches who really got into this thing just because they they've got the the greatest basketball minds ever. Uh, right. T- Tim uh Tom Thibodeau for instance is yeah. a defensive genius. Um not necessarily known as like the friendliest player for his or friendliest coach for his players. Yeah, that's a that's a understatement of the year right there. Um, but it's going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Malone handles that situation. He seems to be focused on that. He seems to be less focused on the individual calls that he's going to be making and the rotations, and uh, but rather than just motivating the players and and getting them all pointed in the same direction and and trying to get them all coming out of this with one goal in mind and, and staying as focused as they can. So. I'm looking forward to it. I think the Nuggets are better equipped to handle some of those stresses than most teams, uh, just because they all like each other, and that that kind of that kind of helps in this situation. Well, they don't have the the friction that you know Donovan Mitchell um, talked this week about um, how there would be a little bit of friction with him and, and Rudy as two stars who were trying to like both be the star of their team. Remember, I don't remember know that, that, Denver... that situation where 
the Utah beat writers came out and said, oh yeah, everything's fine. Everything's good. Like all these guys, they're, they're making up that, that happened like a couple months ago. And that just, I mean, you, you hear it from Donovan Mitchell's mouth, like there's still going to be friction there. There's still something brewing yeah. over there. Well, they're, they're basically saying we can absolutely get along for these playoffs. Don't worry about us now. And that's fine. Like we've other problems for the future. The Nuggets had their own like disgruntlement this year where Murray thought one thing was happening, Jokic thought nothing was happening, and they got a little frictiony on the court. Like they had that, um, you know, in in March or or late February. Um, but they don't have nearly the the kinds of of friction that we were starting to see in Utah. So the Nuggets seem to understand their own hierarchy, and it doesn't sound like with Malone gave a um, a rather tepid endorsement of Michael Porter Jr. for the playoffs. It not that he wouldn't be in the playoffs, but he basically just said, I think there's a good chance that Michael Porter Jr. will get playoff minutes. If he had been, you know, revamping the playbook around what he'd been watching on film for months and was going to showcase Michael Porter Jr., then maybe you don't say it like that. But it sounds like it's status quo. We're going to continue to do what got us here. And that's a very Malone thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and the Nuggets were struggling in March, but I don't know that it was broke. And so he's going to have to find ways to get his lineup, you know, narrowed down to playoff guys while getting people, um, the minutes they need in case there's an emergency. Because you can say all you want that I'm only going to play eight dudes, but what happens if one of those eight dudes gets injured because you haven't been, you know, ramped up to speed. Right. Um, the Nuggets have, have struggled with injuries throughout the last several years, I don't know why this would be any different. So you had better plan to get all those guys stretched out just in case you need them. So yeah, I, I don't expect that that the, the Nuggets are going to have to reinvent the wheel, though, and that means that they have time to focus on, like you said, getting their mind right, getting ready for this situation, and not adding the extra stress of trying to revamp a game plan on the fly right before the playoffs. Let me ask you this. If they are trying to keep it simple, if they are trying to make things less complicated – then shouldn't that help out a rookie like Michael Porter Jr., who's more of a Absolutely. physically physically gifted talent, somebody who's just like when you when you roll out the ball and tell him to go score, he goes and scores? Yeah. Well, especially if you're doing it and he's getting regular minutes against other people's benches. Like, I don't know whose bench is going to be set up to stop Michael from doing things he wants to do. You know, yeah. even if he's just standing in the corner and taking and shooting threes that, you know, Monte Morris passes to him, uh, he's very good at that. And I don't know who around is going to be stopping a dude that long who's out there, you know, blasting off from three-point. So, yeah, it, it, it's set up for them to help their younger players be effective. Like, a lot of guys haven't been in this position before. You know, uh, even, even guys who have been, like Will Barton and Gary Harris were part of last year's playoff team, but they were injured. Like, this is a different situation for those guys, too. So you can't rely on recent memory... Like, that playoff run wasn't really there for anybody but Jamal and um, Joker. Uh, and Jokic. So, and with that being said, uh, this is a new ball game for a lot of guys on your roster, especially with this team. Like, yes, Grant has, has been there before, but Grant also wasn't playing with his team then. Yeah, you know, I'm... Interested. I mean, like we we've done a lot of projection. We've done a lot of of yeah, thinking yeah. on certain things that that could happen. But 
like you said, like, hey, one person tests positive for coronavirus and the entire rotation is thrown out of whack. Like, like it, let's say that's Will Barton, for example. Like, right. how much would that change everything on the, on this team? Like, he's he's grown very important during this situation. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how how that kind of handles that, how it handles itself, uh, what this rotation looks like when things all boil down to it. Um, well, I don't I mean, know if do there's you, an ideal rotation that... either. Yeah, right. But do you think that like um, PJ Dozier is getting minutes in the playoffs if everyone's healthy? Uh, probably not. I really do think that Monte is the guy that you go with as that backup point guard, and uh, rather than tr- trusting another bench guy, I think they stagger a starter next to Monte. Right, and that's where I'm at. So you have PJ Dozier, who you just gave a contract to, so that he can come with you to the playoffs. But that's in case something happens. Like, the Nuggets have these emergency plans, and I'm sure that the emergency plan is play Michael Porter Jr. more, but that they aren't going to go with that to start. That it's going to be, you know, we have we know who our guys are. They're the guys that got us here, and they're, the, they're our normal starting lineup and our normal bench guys. And Michael Porter Jr. should be among the normal bench guys and should get normal bench minutes. And that's what I'm expecting to see. Um, sadly, no ball ball in this playoffs. But... Uh, the rest of the guys, you know, they're just going to be there to get warmed up. You've got regular season. You you can't run out there um, and put all of your players um, up to speed immediately. Uh, you wouldn't think this is pretty much like restarting a season, and you don't right. just jump from zero minutes to 40 minutes. That's a terrible idea. So you're going to need your extra bodies, and I think you may even need them in the playoffs. I don't know that you'll be able to cut the playoff rotation down to eight guys. Um, yeah, which is, nor, I think nor should Denver. Like I, I, right, I don't. Absolutely. I don't think they should. I think they should continue to try to make sure that Jokic doesn't play forty minutes after coming off of coronavirus. Yep. If if you can potentially figure that out, um, the problem yeah. is that you have to have guys that you trust in that situation. And like I, I, we'll we'll see what happens with Plumlee. I'm 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 a little bit skeptical to be clear. Uh, but let's let's actually talk about Bull Bull real quick because a video came out today of him doing a reverse 360 dunk. Uh, and it just got me thinking that, hey, maybe I'm underselling the athleticism of this guy a little bit. And the fact that he's actually like really athletic at 7'2 and can shoot like a god. like where For oh. his size. Yeah. Yeah. If you just consider height and if you consider him to be um, Brooke Lopez sized. Um, as he's, he shoots like Brooke from three, he can dunk, you know, do spinning windmill dunks and, yeah, you know, block things into the rafters. Like his foot speed is not excessive, but everything else that he does, he's a very, very large man who's very skilled. It's, it's fascinating to me to see what the Nuggets are going to do with him next season, because I assume that they're going to need him. I, they, they probably can't afford to have Plumlee come back. So I assume that they're going to be using Ball Ball in, in a backup capacity. I just don't know how they deploy him. And, and every time you see a highlight video from that guy, you wonder how he fits in next to the other big Michael Porter Jr., how he fits in. Does he fit in next to Jokic? Does he have to be playing off the bench next to Grant? Like, how do you work that out? But it makes, it makes Denver really long, and it gives them a shot blocker that they haven't had in forever. Like, uh, we're talking, Camby. what, Marcus Camby? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's who I would that's and, and throw he's, out And there. he's trying to be Marcus Camby. Like, what you want him to be is Marcus Camby with a three-point shot. Now, I don't know how well that works in the modern NBA, but I think it works pretty well. Like, that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, and it's also a situation where if you're the Nuggets, you have to be able to play multiple ways. You have to be able to deal with yep. different teams. And with Jokic, he plays up a lot. He plays like he gets his hands into passing lanes. He's smart. He cuts off right. driving lanes like that. He's not going to block any shots at the rim, but he also is big enough that like and and physical enough that you can't go through him. Uh, right, Bull, exactly. Bull, like you don't want to go at that guy. You you want to avoid him at all costs. You want to go around him. You want to space him out to three if you're the other team. But if you're the Nuggets. If he's a guy that you could play drop coverage with on the second unit, that makes things a lot easier for a lot of players. Um, yeah, drop coverage um, or weak side help. He's going to be amazing at both of those things. And going like I mean, going back be- back and forth between those two schemes when you're playing two different centers is that a bad idea? Yeah. Probably, probably. Yeah, uh, it, it's but, hard to say. But at least like if if you have two separate units and and everybody's like everybody understands their role and your role with Bull Bull is he's going to space the floor up to three on the offensive end and block shots on defense and and patrol the rim, I think you can make that work. Uh, the question Absolutely. is like the question in my mind is whether his body can handle the rigors of being an everyday player, and we're just right. not going to know the answer of that. And I doubt that we get any answers in this playoff. Like he's like no no he's no he's the, not going to play. Last, you can't you the can't last possible guy I would expect yeah. to play on this team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else will play. I don't even know if he's qualified to play because he's still on a two way. Right. And so they he can't they actually play can. in the playoffs. Like like they they decided that in this bubble environment the two way guys can play on the roster. Okay. Uh, Good. So it it made it actually a big deal that they signed PJ Dozer to his contract because they didn't have to do that. But they right. would have had to sign like if they wanted a seventeenth player, they would have had to sign a different guy to a fully guaranteed roster spot. Uh, I'm glad they did. So they gave it to route, PJ instead. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad they let PJ earn it, and he did earn it. He did earn it. Now they're going to have to give it to Bull Bull next year, and I'm fine with that too. Like, yeah. Hey, I mean, uh, I want to um, see it. He spent I, this year rehabbing, and then next year he's going to get his contract, and that's how that should go. Um, but the Nuggets really, for playing Bull Bull, like your issues with him in in the future are going to be if he's out at three point land shooting, who's rebounding the ball? that's Michael Porter Jr. That guy is a crazy good rebounder for a small forward or power forward even. I don't um, know if that player is on the roster. I think I think we may, we may be in a situation where... It's possible. I mean, it, it's, it's very possible that, hey, if the Nuggets decide to bring back Jeremy Grant to be the starting power forward, maybe they bring back Paul Millsap to be the backup power forward and he plays next to Bull Bull and then that lineup works. Like those guys would sure. actually work really well together. They could both space the floor. Uh, Millsap's a great when defender. You're, you're using one as a de facto center on one end and one is the stretch four on one end and then you yeah. switch places on the other end. And I think that makes like, sense. Like, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. But that's what you're worried. That's what you're working with with Ball is you're, you're switching coverages. You're, I play outside on one end and I'm a rim protector on the other end. And that's yeah. fine. Teams do that all the time. They do it for Brook Lopez. They do it for other guys. Like, that's a workable solution nowadays. Um, but it gives Denver a, another different tool set going forward um, for stretching the floor, for doing other things that, especially bench units, are going to have a lot of trouble managing. And that's really what you're looking for is is the Nuggets last year, uh, in the last couple of years, had a little trouble with their bench keeping the scoring up. 
um, that whenever Jokic sat, the Nuggets scoring flagged, that you ran into trouble holding leads. Um, you know, in the playoffs last year, they couldn't, they were sitting him down for like 60 seconds at a time. You know, take bad. this breather, enjoy this commercial break. When we come back from commercial break, I'm going to call a timeout, and then you're going to get back in the game. <laughs> like, that's that's all they could do. Like, they, they just didn't have the bodies. They were too injured. Um, and they, did, they didn't have the right setup to make the bench effective. And now they're going to have a lot of weapons, especially going into the playoffs, with everyone healthy. Because now, I mean, every team's going to be healthy. Assuming, you know, no coronavirus or, you know, pulled hamstrings or whatever. On the way back in, knock on wood. Sure. But... You know, you're starting from a healthy standpoint, and that gives you a lot of options. You have Gary Harris for defense. You've got Will Barton for, you know, um, on-ball scoring. You've got all these guys that you were missing last year when it was just the the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll. And And so I can understand uh, the coach, if he does want to keep it simple and he just wants to, you know, keep your head in the game from coronavirus and let's play. He still has a ton of options he can he can draw from to make matchups work game to game. We're gonna see it. I'm excited to see it, and we'll, I mean, Bulbul's probably not gonna be a part of that initially, but I he's, like, not, he's like, a, do not do not expect to see Bulbul this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you do, it's because it's because you just want to see him play in a game. But I don't expect them to do that because then you tear his rookie jersey off um, during the regular season. Like then he doesn't qualify as a rookie next year. I don't expect them to do that. I expect them to leave him as a rookie next year. We'll see. We'll see. I'm uh I'm at least interested. Like if if they were to play him at the end of this this bubble playoff, like let's say it's the Toronto Raptors in the last game of the playoffs or the last game of the the eight game stretch, um, and you want to sit Nikola Jokic, like right? Do you really want to play Paul Millsap 35 minutes? Like you got to find other ways to to sit. I mean, guys you know, too. They, it's not like Plumlee died. Like Mason's still around. <laughs> yeah, he could. I mean, he'll he'll definitely like he would start that game and play thirty. Yeah, yeah. Mason sure. Mason can stretch it out. Mason can yeah, try his hand at three Like 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 they have options. Like it, it if they even if they wanted to sit Nikola Jokic, like they they have options without him. So they wouldn't be winning options, but they they'd be options. Uh, okay. Right. Hey, last thing before we hit a break. Uh, according to Jackie McMullen today, eight. Uh, the eight non-Orlando teams, they are finalizing what looks to be a bubble environment in Chicago, or at least a situation, maybe it's individual mini camps in their own cities, where they uh, where they are basically going to get together and have a training camp and play some games. Uh, I was not expecting this. I was expecting those teams nope. to... Uh, kind of just go away, and and I I doubt that you're ever going to get Kevin Love back to playing with that Cleveland team unless he really has to. Uh, if this is a situ- if this is a situation like the Orlando bubble where teams and players can opt out, uh, then I expect Kevin Love to be out of there. Uh, I expect a lot of opt outs if that's yeah. what they're doing. And this is the part that doesn't make any sense to me. If you want to have a bubble situation and you're going to have these guys get together, and the point of them getting together is just to hang out and play some scrimmages. And yeah. you're not going to televise them, really. Like, it's not something anybody wants to watch. You know, I unless there's some reason you have to do that because of um, contract reasons with those local cable companies for the Atlanta Hawks or whatever, you know, I don't know what the regional sports networks are doing for those eight teams and if, they, if it's really a money situation. But I would expect that... And I believe all the coaches... To uh, a majority of coaches, you know, in an informal poll 
were basically uh, of the opinion that they should be um, running their own mini camps and just getting guys out there to practice and hang out together so they didn't have an eight-month layoff of basketball. Rather Which than, does make sense. That's that's in yeah, a situation I, I get where, that. where, like, if you if you're a young team, if you're trying to figure out your way, and you want to know exactly who, you want to know exactly who the guys are that you want to take forward and and bring with you to battle. Uh, I I kind of understand that from that perspective. However, like, you don't have a ton of teams in that situation. Like, if you're if you're the Charlotte Hornets, for example, like you know you're going to bring back Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, guys like that. Uh, you're probably bringing back Malik Monk because he's a high first round pick. Yep. But are you, do you really need to see Dwayne Bacon again? Do you really need to see uh, Cody Martin and Caleb Martin in order to figure out like, okay, can those guys be the fifteenth man on the team next year? How important it's, is it actually? Yeah. So I, I don't. It's know. just confusing to me. I don't. I don't. I don't see the validity of it, or certainly not the urgency. Like the urgency for the NBA in creating the bubble and playing the playoffs is you have the playoffs. You have TV contracts. You have hundreds of millions of dollars on the line. You're trying to win a title. Like, you're trying to make sure that even though... And you're trying to honestly test for next year to see if your precautions are enough because you may be going through this again in December. Yeah. Like, we don't know how long coronavirus hasn't gone anywhere. You know, it's already been four months. So, you have four months since... Almost four months since the NBA shut down. It's been around way longer than that in the States. You know, it's not going to be done by Christmas. Yeah. So you're going to have to figure out how to play in the age of coronavirus. Uh, and so this is part of that test. The stuff that they're doing with the bottom eight teams has nothing to do with any of that. So if if none of that matters at that point, why are you getting extra teams together and having to create another bubble and worry about even more staffing issues and, you know, uh, health precautions and all of it in order to have some people scrimmage against each other to get their coaches to be more familiar with people that they've been coaching the whole year. I, I, that doesn't that doesn't seem to me to be a vital use of, of resources. So unless there's something that they're not telling us about why they want to do it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I'm fully with you. Uh, I do I do value the idea of mini camps. I think that these coaches, if they're going like to do it, yeah, they'd like to be in a situation where they can at least see these players before, like, like the last time that they haven't seen them was eight months prior, nine months prior, and I, I wouldn't be comfortable in that situation if I was trying to make long-term decisions that affected my future as a head coach, as an assistant coach. I would want to see these guys so that I could make good decisions and feel comfortable about those decisions in the moment. Um, so. Maybe maybe with the bubble environments, it, it means eight teams are there as opposed to 22. Less games overall because you're not doing playoffs. You're just doing like a, a few scrimmages is what I would guess. Uh, sure. So they wouldn't be there for as long. They wouldn't be there for a significant period of time. Uh, maybe like three weeks, maybe four weeks. Um, in, in, in that situation, I, I can see it working. I could see it being okay. Uh, is it worth it? I don't know. Like I, I, I just don't I don't think you can evaluate that risk and say, hey, this is worth it to uh, put our put all of our guys in a situation where if they get into this coronavirus bubble, if this thing gets infected, then everybody could have major repercussions. I don't know. No, I feel that like that's uh, I, I can understand 
wanting some scrimmages and just to get some face-to-face time with some guys, give them something to work on, you know, in the offseason, figure out, you know, some stuff you want to do. But it's all stuff you're planning on while some parts of that roster are not going to be there next year. Like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a mini camp with new faces. It's not a mini camp with, you know, um, meshing trade people back in. Like, most of these teams don't have that. You know, uh, I suppose if you're, you know, some of these teams that there might be some guys that you want to see, but especially considering some of your bigger players may just not show up. You know, they it don't want to take it, the risk. It is interesting that it, this is in Chicago, and this is the last point that, that I'll make before we go to a break, but it's in Chicago, and the Chicago Bulls have new management in Arturis Karnasovas, yep. and I'm sure he would want to see those guys before making major decisions about their sure, trade Sure, I can see right? that. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're in that situation, you want to see what Zach Levine looks like in an empty gym. You want to be able to get into that environment with him, and you also want to be able to maybe see how he plays when the games don't matter. Like, is he just going to loaf on defense the entire time? Is it is it a situation where, hey, none of these guys are going to play defense because it doesn't matter? Or if they're playing for their jobs, like if they're, if they're real competitors, if they're trying to make a name for themselves in this league, then maybe that's something that Arturis and the Chicago Bulls front office would value. Uh, I could really see yeah. that from that situation. I just, it's just hard for me to justify... Like, getting other teams involved in that scrimmaging, though. Like, I understand that the people who are running the the GMs and the front offices, sure, I'm sure they would like to see a lot of stuff. You know, but I'm not sure that as a player that I feel like being a guinea pig for my own trade value. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's that's fair. That's not something that you really appeals to me as a player. So I'm I'm curious to see how many people would choose to stay home from that or what the vote from the Player Association was on whether those teams will come back. Michelle Roberts was pulling for a bubble. It seems like she is really on to, on board with this, and Adam Silver is on board with it as well. Um, so it's at least there is some support coming from the Players Association. We'll see if it's actually from the players themselves who are in that and situation. Maybe it's about pay. Maybe you, know, you have a lot of those guys who are young. They're on their first contracts because they're on bad teams. You know, it's entirely possible that they're like, "Look, man, I gotta, I got bills to pay. So yeah, let's play, let's play some scrimmages, and yeah. uh, I can get paid. If I'm getting if, paid like real games for these scrimmages, then that's fine." If and I were I told I was getting paid an extra 500k for going there, like I'd, I'd yeah. be down. I'd be I'd again. Be, okay, there, there, it. there are reasons. Most of this stuff in the NBA right now comes back to the cash. As it's a business, I don't see why it wouldn't. But sure. that's that's where you're at. Okay. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to get into some Twitter questions. Got a lot of great ones to share with you guys. We'll be right back. Denver Stiff Show, Ryan Blackburn here, joined by Gordon Gross today, Zach Mikosh on assignment. Uh, got some good questions here, and and uh, I know this was short notice for people, so they may not have seen it initially, but I do appreciate people's willingness to come up with some good questions, throw them our way. We've got some good ones here. I'm going to start with Jordan Scott. Uh, Jordan asks, what is MPJ's ideal role on this Nuggets team? Uh, and I know you didn't want to 
fully talk about Michael Porter Jr. in this situation. Because well, it's, it's not the Michael Porter Jr. show. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, you, you was... know me. I, I'm fine talking about Michael Porter Jr. as much as we want to talk about him. I just don't have a lot to add since the last 17 times we talked about him. <laughs> uh, this this was the very first question I received, so I wanted to. No, uh, no, no. It's it's, it's valid. It. I mean, what do you think? Uh, about, what do you think his situation is? Well, like, I'm, I'm going to read the role. I'm going to read the rest of this real quick. His isolation ability is something they don't have in other players. Does it fit within their offense or would it become more of a secondary feature in it after the Jokic Murray two man game? Well, I will say well, to be fair. Uh, I mean, like, we don't yeah. know what his isolation offense is like. And, yeah. It's just, there's, there hasn't been a lot of it. Um, like we, and, we think he'd be pretty good at it, but we haven't seen a lot of Michael Porter jr. You know, will Bartoning his way to the, to the basket. Like he's been posted up at the three or he'll fight for rebounds and go score again. But there hasn't been a lot of give Mike the ball, let him drive by three guys and dunk it. That, that hasn't really been a lot of his, a lot of his uh, scoring there. So I don't know that his isolation play, we can necessarily judge. I mean, he's a hard guy to defend in isolation because if he wants to step back and shoot it, there's no one who's playing other than ball ball who might be able to stop that. Like, you, nobody's long enough to stop Michael Porter Jr. with a step back. That's just, I mean, he showed that with a step, with a sidestep three. He did a step back and to the side, three-point shot, and it he's like three feet clear of the guy blocking him. The Nuggets um, have a lot of these guys where, where it continues to remind me of the Golden State Warriors and what they were building. Sure. Uh, you well, you want need, Jamal Murray yeah. in that Steph Curry role. Jokic is kind of in that Draymond Green role as your playmaking big, your do-it-all guy. Uh, he's much better as a scorer, of course, and he's ultimately yeah. better as a passer. But uh, he's better it, as a player. It, but it's, yeah, it's a it's a similar fulcrum. Sure. Porter is your guy, like Kevin Durant, who Kevin Durant, like you, you give him the ball on occasion and you let him get a bucket. But a lot yep. of his game still works within the flow of the offense. It's on some kickouts. You let him play make a little bit. You run him off some screens. Uh, he, used in a very versatile way. Uh, so with MPJ, I would continue to use him in as many ways as possible. I would yep. try to let him run off ball. I would try to use him as a cutter. He's one. He's probably the best cutter on the team at this point. Like I don't think yes. that's that's arguable anymore. Which is kind of nuts because this team has had multiple great cutters. Like yeah, but uh, he's starting... he's always two steps from the rim. Like that's yeah. the difference is that he's never trying to shoot with somebody looming over him. And that was yeah. like Gary Harris was a great cutter. But when he's in the paint, he's like 6'3", you know, uh, that's that's a little tougher to finish. Same with Jamal Murray, who would get there and then have to do a step back because there's a giant 6'8", 6'10", dude in the way. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is as big as any of the guys in the paint. He's bigger than a lot of them. So, yeah, he, he gets to the glass fine. He cuts fine. I want his usage to go up. I don't think that, I don't think that you want him just as a spot shooter who occasionally gets the ball. Um, but that's a problem for next year. Like that, I don't expect that to be any different this year. He's going to fill the float out to the three point line, wait for Jamal to pass in the ball, take a shot or go harvest a rebound and get your own points. Like that's yeah. going to be his role for this year. Yeah. And that's fine. And I, I, I fully agree with you that that just is what makes the most sense. It's really hard to change the roles this season. Uh, coming back into it, as Michael Malone said, you want to keep it simple. You want to try to make everything as simple as possible. And, and that could lead to Michael Porter Jr. 
in some cases where he's got it going, hey, okay, we're just going to give this guy the ball because he keeps making shot after shot, and that's cool. Well, yeah, you just feed the, you feed the hot hand, and Michael Porter mm-hmm. Jr. will get a hot hand at some point in these playoffs. He's just too good a scorer. Like, you watch him, and he's a natural. Yeah. Um, it, it's just it's crazy how good his fundamental shot making is. So I would continue using him as primarily an off-ball player, but also yep. somebody who, when you give him the ball... Uh, There are dedicated times where he gets an isolation. There are dedicated times where he gets to run a pick and roll with somebody. Because if you don't let him cultivate that talent, if you don't let him do some of those things, then it's you're you're neutralizing his value for what he could be in the future. So I I would like his usage was at 22 this year, 22%. I'd like to see that up at 24. Uh, or if he's in that situation, like because with the starters, it wasn't that high when he was in the in the month of January. It actually wasn't like it was it was around 22. But I think people think it was higher. He was still playing within a role. There was yes. a lot of potential for him to grow even beyond 24. Maybe he's up at 25, 26, which is where Jamal Murray is. Right. I would expect him and Jamal in the future for for positive roles for them to play off each other. Like you said, much as as Steph and Kevin were doing, I would love for them to be anywhere near those guys. I don't think they are, but you know, certainly not yet. But th- that's what you're looking at is two guys who can definitely score, and one guy who facilitates the other guy, one guy who makes the spacing for the other guy. You know, those are those are two guys who are very um, determined to be good scorers, and I would expect that to work out very well for them as a two-headed scoring machine, and then. Uh, Jokic gets to do what he wants to do, which is pass the ball and rebound and and you know, uh, you not a, have to a be... floater here there like like okay yeah you put it, it put it put it off into rebounds yeah, you know you've... and call it a day. Throwing it to me with six seconds left. I guess I'll throw in this mid-range jumper and, and it'll go in because that's just what he does. Um, right. Okay, good question from Jordan. Uh, thank you for that. Another question from uh, Jamal Murray season on here. Uh, what nugget do you think is going to come back better now than before the break? How long do you think the guys will be rusty before they look normal? Uh, starting with the second one first, I don't think anybody's going to look super normal. I think that right. it, it's going to it's going to be pretty rusty at least through the first round of the playoffs. Maybe at that point you start looking a little bit better, but like I think I think there's going to be a lot of missed shots and and some blown assignments. Well, the first couple weeks of the season are always ugly too, man. Like it's going to be the same thing where you're you've got guys who are. Um, you know, they've had a long layoff. They're going to get a, a few warm-up games, and then you're going to say, okay, go. Uh, it's going to take a minute. It, they haven't played together in, you know, several months. It's it's going to be the same amount of time between the end of the playoffs and the normal start of the regular season. Like, it's going to be a long time to overcome. So, yeah, it's going to be rusty. I don't think anybody's going to look amazing. Um, You're just going to have to effort it out. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I I think the Nuggets have a a good thing with Jokic, who is always good and can make things happen, even when other people aren't necessarily at their peak. You find ways to get them the ball in an easier situation, and so it's always good having a basketball genius around. You know, the Lakers certainly have one. You know, it's it's good f- to be able to rely on somebody who has a really really high basketball IQ. And the Nuggets have, you know, Jamal Murray and Jokic, who have both also been in the playoffs in the situation of having to handle their business before. 
So, yeah. and as and as the first and second options, knowing that hey, this yep. falls on us. We we know what we have to do to be good. Um, Absolutely, so they'll, they'll know when they're not clicking on all cylinders and how to get back there. So I worry about them less than I worry about some of the other guys. Uh, yeah, if you I had would to think pick- uh, Gary Harris, I think would be my my pick for a guy that would be better. Now he was starting to look better in the last few games before the break, but Gary Gary was his shot was so broken. Earlier in the year, and he's had nothing to do but hang out and shoot a hoop in a you know at a uh, you know at a net. That's all he's had time to do. So you would think that the break would do him good as far as resetting his shot. Um, now I'm I don't know how so, much man. shooting he's been able to do. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm just I think that he's a guy that I would put money on to look a little bit better than he was. Uh, yep. he's he's that kind of guy. He's that kind of character. Uh, Huge he work ethic. He came yeah. to play in the playoffs last year, performed pretty well. Uh, like even even as like the the third or fourth option within that system, like he was he was at an above average true shooting. He was playing pretty well. He's playing great defense. That's what you're expecting from him, and I think that's what he will deliver. Right. Um. Good question from that guy. Uh, what is the best? Or this is from Ben. Who is the best case scenario to be the third best Nugget in Orlando? So I interpreted this question as if you could pick any nugget on the team to be the best or the third best player behind, I assume, Jokic and Murray, uh, what player gives the Nuggets the best chance to win in the playoffs? Um, I'm not allowed to say Michael Porter Jr. again. So <laughs> I think you probably could. Like if, if he was no, the, third the, the, best thing, the thing is, the Nuggets, the Nuggets have this weird thing where. I don't know necessarily what's best for them on a on a game to game basis. If Jamal Murray is on, he's going to take a bunch of shots. Like I would think that the third best player should be Will Barton, um, because just because you need another scoring presence, um, and it's probably not going to be Jeremy Grant. Like Jeremy does a lot of stuff for you, but he's not he's not going to you know heat up and and um, you know get into a shootout with some of these other teams. I wouldn't expect him to anyway. Jeremy right. Grant, Jeremy Grant fills a lot of different different holes for the Nuggets, but I don't know that I would I would consider him being the third best player to be Denver's Denver's salvation in the playoffs. I would think you will need a guy to provide the scoring to, you know, hold it up if if Jamal Murray has a trouble shooting or Jokic decides not to shoot that game. You're going to need another guy out there to put put the ball in the basket, and that guy should probably be Will who can do it from the bench, can do it with the ball in his hands, can do it from three on a pass. You know, he's one of the best cutters on the team. Like, you would think that Will being the third best player would help you if that means that Will is great. Will being great as a third best player could make a lot of a lot of difference for the Nuggets. I think you're probably right. I think that's the guy I would pick too, just kind of going through the situations. Last year, the third best player, I think, was Paul Millsap. And yeah. we saw what happened where, okay, you get into a situation, okay, we have to rely on these players to be our best guys. And Paul didn't really play well at the end of that Portland series. He was he was looking, looking pretty uh, slow in comparison to a guy like Evan Turner or Rodney Hood or Zach Collins or somebody like that. Uh, if Will Barton is playing and he is in that position to be the third best guy, he's as the secondary creator, he's making plays off the dribble, he's kind of filling almost that that Jamal Crawford role, but in a more 
like team friendly way. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of like that. I think that's a situation that Denver needs where you kind of just need guys who can take other guys off the dribble and get to the hoop. And, and that's yep. Will Barton's game. So I'd, uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. If, if, if I were the nuggets, it, I think that's probably the best way for them to go about this thing. Well, that, that's like I said, that's your hope is that Will is, I mean, Will was played really well this year before he got injured. Um, and so you would like to see if Will can can step up again and be that guy that Denver needs when you're looking for someone to pick up the flagging offense at a random time in the game. It has to be somebody. It can't always be Jokic. It can't always be Murray getting hot. There has to be a third guy. And I, I would my expectation would be for Denver to go pretty far that you're going to want Will Barton as a scoring presence. Yep. No, I, I hear you. I think he's he's going to need to be that jack of all trades. Uh, well, he's got who... the score. He's got a chip on his shoulder from last year. Like yeah. he was. Uh, you, if you talk to Will, like he was the most disappointed person about not being able to contribute like he thought he should during the playoffs. He waited so long to get there that uh, I expect him to take full advantage of this year. Agreed. Uh, good question there from Ben. Uh, here's another one from Mustang Graham. Uh, I think this is at Nate Gordon, so I assume that, that that's his name. Uh, will Tory Craig play a prominent role in this year's playoffs, do you think? Probably. Like, it's the, – the thing is, what, what do you mean by prominent role? Uh, the Nuggets are going to be playing teams with bigger wings. I expect him to be needed. So I expect him to play minutes. And if the Nuggets go far, then he's going to be getting minutes against very important players where he's going to have to defend them. So, how many yeah, I, how many games do you think he plays over twenty four minutes in? Like, let's say, like, uh, give me a percentage of the games, like, as opposed to just a, a uh, number. Well, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think many. Like, that's that. I don't expect him to get over twenty four minutes very often at all. But that doesn't mean he's not prominent. Like, almost none of the Nuggets play more than about twenty eight minutes a game. Like, there's only a they all have a couple of starters now. That'll that'll change in the playoffs, right? You know, but I mean, Paul Millsap's not playing probably 24 minutes a game. Probably not, uh, but it could be a situation where you need a, a more switchable four, somebody who's who's a little bit better man-on-man on the perimeter. Sure. Uh, and last year, in that situation, they actually used Torrey Craig at yes, the they four. Did. So they, they have Jeremy Grant to they fill that. They used him up so. and down, and he, and he shot last last playoffs too. That's another guy mm-hmm. who could definitely come back. If, if in a small sample size, if he makes his shots – like Tory Craig is incredibly valuable to this team as a defender and a guy who can hit the open three because the three will be open for him. That's the way that everyone's played Denver, and if he hits those, that guy's going to be a hero. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's it's a situation where hey, the Nuggets have been so reliant upon their starters, and right. I think that guys like Murray, Harris, Barton, I think they're all shoe ins to play over 30 minutes in a in a yeah, yeah. in a first round series. Like let's say. Let's say it's Houston. Like I don't, I yep. don't think any of those guys play less than thirty. Uh, let's and Dallas is probably a similar situation, but that's that's getting into the territory where hey, you probably need somebody who could defend Luka Doncic. Uh, you could be in a situation where maybe one of those guys that's in the starting unit gets benched, and Torrey Craig has to come in and be the starter on that player and starts out and, and tries to get them off to a good situation. But I right. don't know. I, and, we're we're going well, to have to see. It depends on what you, want from, what you want from Craig. If you want him to be a like an impactful scorer, that's not his game. He's not going to take a lot of shots. 
he's just going to be out there defending and and doing his best Andre Roberson. Like right. that's that's what he's there for. Um if he hits the open threes that he gets, he's going to get like, you know, like what, 3 4 shots a game? Yeah. Make your shots. Like that's what he's going to get. I, you don't be out there expecting Tory Craig to go put up like 15 20 points a game. That's not what he's going to do. Um but do I expect him to play a bunch of minutes? Yeah, I would expect him to play 15 plus minutes. Yeah. Okay. I I think I think 15 15 minutes is about right. That seems like the the line from where like if if Gary yep. Harris is having a good defensive night, if Will exactly. Barnes is having a good defensive night, then Tory Craig probably doesn't play a ton. Uh, right. if they need another guy who defends big wings, then Tory Craig's probably your guy. Um okay, good question from Nate. Uh, let's move on to this one from Chris. Will we see good Nuggets D or bad Nuggets D? Because they've had uh, a tumultuous season as a defensive squad. Dude, I I have no idea what to expect from defense. From a team that hasn't played together in months, from a team that when they were playing together last, they were they were piecing it together for the last month, you know, of, of injured people with twisted legs and whatever. Like, this is not a squad that has had a lot of continuity over their last month to go recapture. So they're looking to recapture early magic. Right. Um, and so defensively, I don't, I don't know. Like, you're not going to have, you know, your full energy. You're not going to be in the middle of the season where you're, you're perfectly prepared for this. You're not in basketball shape. And so one of the things that you let go when you're not in basketball shape is defense. You know, if you only have enough energy for offense then that's what you play. So I don't yeah. expect to see an amazing defensive effort from the Nuggets. I don't. I, I would expect average. I think that's probably where they'll end up being. Sure. Uh, because they, they have good defensive personnel in some cases. Like like Paul Millsap is still a great defender. Gary Harris is still a great defender. Will Barton has made massive improvements. Nikola Jokic, good positional defender. Jamal Murray, good post defender. Like they have the ways to piece some things together. Unfortunately... They don't have any transcendent pieces. Like a, a guy like Marcus Smart would be super helpful for this team because you play him all up and down the lineup and he just defends everybody and makes everything a pain for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and and Drew Holiday is that way. Uh, Rudy Gobert is that way as a big. Like, like you just have one guy and they make a massive impact. So the Nuggets don't have that one singular force and I think that's probably going to hurt them, especially if they have to play a team like the Lakers or the Clippers. I just don't know how they defend uh, either of those teams, honestly. So they're going to have to figure out a way to score. The, yeah, they're, I think it's going to be an outscoring, man. I I don't see the defensive scheme that makes them look great against those teams. Yeah, so we're I mean we're going to see, but and it, again, it, it's a situation where we might not know what's going to happen because it's a bubble and because we've never seen this before. But I think we know enough to know that hey, having to defend. LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, even Luka Doncic. It's going to be tough. Um, okay, good question there. Let me pull up another one real quick. Um, being one of the dominant home teams, how badly do you think the Nuggets will miss the Pepsi Center? And do you think it will have an effect on their play? Man, it's it's was, hard to say. That was from Brad, you, by the way. You don't, you don't have the the other thing. You're not playing on the road either. Like, there's no crowd noise. You're not out in L.A. or Miami all night and then coming in from the club and you got to play on the road and your play, flight got in late. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, the it's Nuggets... not somebody's home stadium. It's not somebody's home arena. Yeah. Yeah. 
which I Every, think everybody's in the same situation as you. There is no home court advantage. So in that sense, it, yes, the Nuggets lose the ability to to rely on altitude, but they play like at the 28th ranted pace in the league or something this year. Like they're slow. They don't play fast and they don't run you through a ton of screens either. So they haven't been using the altitude to their advantage. It's more about travel and, and other things. They just like playing from their own beds. And even this year, they played great on the road. Like it's not a, it hasn't been the sort of season like the, what was it? 38 and three that they went. Yeah, um, with yeah. Uh, the, the last iteration of the Gallo Nuggets. Yeah, which means they went 19 and 22 on the road that year because right. they won 57 games. Yeah, but, you know, so that was an incredible home court advantage, but that's because they were in the sprinting blocks for opening tip and never stopped. Like, these are not those Nuggets, and so I don't expect that style to be um, an obstacle for them I don't. I don't expect that they're losing a lot of home court against anyone um, in these particular playoffs. It's just a matter of whether they can find their groove with the weird environment. Uh, like the Nuggets probably won't have the the normal um, advantages of training at altitude because they just haven't been doing it again long enough. Right. You know, they're going to go down to sea level. They're going to train down there for a minute. The games aren't starting for another few weeks. Like, they aren't going to get the advantages of, of having um, been conditioned at altitude and then playing at sea level. So I think it's just going to be pretty even. Um, they don't play a, a style that requires altitude to be successful. So I don't think it hurts them to not be playing at home because no one's playing at home. I would think it hurts people who are used to a home court advantage um, people like the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, you're used to you're used to people coming to the LA nightlife. You're used to the crowds at the at the Staples Center. You know the Nuggets have been getting their crowds better, but there are still games that they're out cheered by the Boston fans, who've come out to to watch the Celtics roll in. Right. You know. So yeah, yeah, it's a home court advantage, but it's it's not a crowd advantage that other teams are used to having. That the Nuggets haven't necessarily enjoyed as much of, so I'm not that worried about it. Just going back and looking through the schedule real quick, there were a lot of times where, like, I there were actually lesser times where they were just outplayed by a team on the road. Like, sure, you yeah. Think about the the Los Angeles Clippers. You think about the uh, they they didn't actually play the Lakers a second time. They they won their only match. No. like the the Houston Rockets, for example. Like that was with Capella. Um, who another good example here? I guess is the. Uh, I mean, there's there's not a lot of great examples like the Oklahoma City Thunder, but that was out of the All Star break. Like yep. the Dallas Mavericks, but that was on the night of COVID. Like I I get it. Yeah, they, there's yeah, those are those weird losses, man. Most of the losses that they had were because of apathy, not because they were worse than the other team. Uh, they didn't honestly. show up. Like, yeah, exactly. Like they they had a tough road trip against the the Celtics, Nets, and 76ers all in a row. Uh, but some of those games were cl- like like the Nets. They were there down three points in that one the 76ers they lost Jamal Murray during that game so like the the Kings before that like the November 30th game against the Kings where Jokic just didn't try for like the entire game uh right. that was uh, like they have a lot of these examples where okay apathy kind of hit them they're they're just in a situation where they didn't really want to play they they were kind of bored they wanted to get to the playoffs well 
the playoffs are here. We're going to get to them, and it's going to be weird. It's not going to be the same playoff environment they were used to last year, but it's going to be the playoffs. Uh, those games will matter more. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 really all we have there. Um, let's get another one before we head out of here. Um, let's go with uh, – here's one from Omar. Uh, there have been a lot of teams that have reached the good but not great status. It gives a couple of examples here. The Kevin Garnett Wolves, the Nash Suns, Stockton Malone Jazz. I would argue that Stockton and Malone were great, but they just kind of I, – I Yeah, if you, make, if you make some finals, you were great. Yeah, Harden's Rockets, like like that one is is pretty great too with with Chris Paul, uh, Durant, Westbrook, Thunder, etc. What are some mistakes that they made that the Nuggets can try to avoid making? Um, so we got we got to go through it a little Pay bit. Hey, James but, Harden, when you have him, yeah, that that's a good one for the Thunder. Hey, bring back your good <laughs> players. Uh, we like that. I'm just saying, like like don't don't <laughs> cash it out because you didn't want to pay a couple million in tax. Like maybe yeah. keep that guy around, yeah. Uh, the KG Wolves, uh, that was the team with Sam Cassell, right? Like you, you're yes, probably more familiar Sa- with Sam, them than I yes, am. Yes, it was Sam Cassell, um, and it would have been Wally Zerbiak. And like when those that that's your second and third best player, I can see why you'd have trouble. So uh, have Murray be better than Sam Cassell is sort of on the agenda. And Sam was a good player, but like so that's that's not a low bar. But the Nuggets are going to need better guys around their future Hall of Famer because that's what Jokic is and no one else on the roster can say that. So you're going to have to to make sure that you keep the talent up. Um, yeah, so really for the Nuggets, it's managing salary cap, man, because you're going to have to keep finding gems that can play for you on rookie contracts. Right. Um, the Nuggets aren't Miami and they aren't LA and they aren't Chicago. Like guys don't, just roll up into Denver like, yes, I would love to go to Denver for very little money. You know, that's never been their thing. And so if it's going to be, it'll be the first time that people wanted to roll into Denver and, you know, play for the Nuggets for a couple million bucks because they wanted to win a title here. That's right. that's never been a, a Denver experience. So Denver's going to have to do what other teams couldn't do and hit on gems later in the draft um, or make good trades of the players that they got, you know, that they can no longer afford. That's where the Nuggets are at. That's where Tim Connolly is going to make his bones, where that front office now is going to have to continue to find, you know, Michael Porter Jr. at the, at, you know, the 14th spot, or, you know, you're going to have to go find Ball Ball at the second round. You know, if those guys pan out, like, those are the moves that keep you competitive. Those are the moves that make it so you don't have to go um, find a veteran who will come play for you, but you've got to grow those players, you know. And those teams that failed, you know, when Oklahoma City uh, couldn't quite make it work with Durant and Westbrook, you know, they just couldn't get the right mix of players. Um, it's not necessarily who was available that they missed; they just they couldn't quite figure out what they needed. And I think that a lot of that's identity. A lot of that is, you know, grabbing just the right the right guy in the draft. You know, the hope is that Denver already did that. If yeah. it's Michael Porter Jr. and Ball Ball, then they already did what they need to do. You know, that's your that's your James Harden and Serge Ibaka level guys, right? Like, that's right. what you're hoping. Yeah, I, I'm looking through some of these teams. Like, I'm just going to go back through the names of them real quick. The KG Wolves, the Nash Suns, the Stockton Malone Jazz, 
Harden's Rockets, Durant Westbrook Thunder, etc. So what I'm seeing a lot of correlation there is that those teams especially were so reliant on their superstars to be good because they didn't have a lot of other options otherwise. Like the KG Wolves, for example, you had Sam Cassell, pretty good second option. Their third option on that team was Rachel Spruill, and he was he was shooting 49.3% true shooting. Like, yeah. As a, as a high-volume player, uh, it's not good enough. Uh, the Nash Suns are a little bit of a different situation. They probably would have gone to the finals and maybe won in the finals if they hadn't, like, had Steve Nash been hip checked into a wall. Uh, that's, yep. that's kind of a big deal. Yep. Uh, St- the Stockton and Malone jazz ran into Jordan. That was, uh, that's sorry. Like that's, that's a, yeah, that's yeah, a really, really situation. The, the thing about a lot of these, like the Sacramento Kings, the thing is don't run into Kobe and, and Shaq. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, these are those, those, those teams where I don't know that they're ceiling that they screwed something up. They just weren't lucky. So you know, uh, the Harden Rockets, the Durant Westbrook Thunder, they both ran into the Golden State Warriors. Yep. And those yeah, Warriors one of the greatest, just, most perfectly put together, most unique teams of all time. Yep. So my question, let's let me turn this question to you. Is there another team in the future in the Western Conference that you could see being the biggest thorn in Denver's side going forward? I guess it depends what the Pelicans do, right? How good Zion is. What about the Mavs? Uh, could be Doncic. I could see that. Because um, you're looking at, you know, let's say three years from now. Like, the Nuggets could absolutely win this year. Don't tell me that I'm, I'm you know, turning that down. But, like, in theory, the prime, if you have Michael Porter Jr. and Ball Ball, if they're important to you, if that's if that's actually what you needed. It's probably a couple years got, from now. You've got Jamal Murray. You're talking at least probably two years from now. So two years from now, uh, who are the, like, maybe the Lakers got another player. You know, um... But are you is are the Clippers still the Clippers? Are it still Kawhi and Paul George? Are they still unlikely trying to get over those guys? Unlikely. I think that that's that seems like a situation with those with that team with the Lakers. Although the Lakers, they could turn around and and turn Anthony Davis into a, another pairing with somebody else. Great, but are you scared of a Lakers team that's headed by Anthony Davis? Are you scared of a team that's with an aging Kawhi Leonard? As, as their superstars when Jokic gets into his prime and Murray starts turning a corner. I don't know. Right. I, I'm yeah, not, not really. Not really. Like, like there, um, there's not a lot of people that I'm – the teams in the West uh, I'm not scared of. There aren't a lot of teams that I'm like, oh, man. Now if Giannis goes to L.A., sure. Okay, that's going to annoy the crap out of me. You know, uh, but for now, like looking at the landscape, there looks like there should be opening a window for those other teams, for the Mavs for the Pelicans potentially, you know, for the Nuggets to go ahead and step up. For them to say, no, no, I this is our shot to win a title in between the LeBron era and whatever comes after LeBron. Well, which I assume would be Giannis. But in the West, Giannis isn't here. For the first time in forever, potentially the best player or players. Like, even if Kevin Durant comes back and is great, he's not in the West. Go away. Like, finally, the the there's this little break in the clouds um, of trying to get past all the great teams that have been in the West, you know, that were going to match up with LeBron in the East. Um, do you think that? Do you think that Jokic could be the best player in the Western Conference in two years? Yeah. What do, do you think you? of Doncic? I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it really comes down to whether you are serious about Zion, whether you're serious about Luca. 
And if I'm not serious guys, about Zion. Luca, yeah. Luca is legit. Luca could very well be the best player in the NBA, even including Giannis potentially, um, in in a couple of years. Um, yeah. I but I've I my love for you for Luca is. It remains undimmed from before he was drafted. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Know? you. It's, it's too bad that he has to play on a team that could potentially prevent the Nuggets from winning a championship. They could, they could well, be and a he really plays, tough situation. Well, he plays enough. He's he's Jokic with the hunger to score that Jokic yeah. doesn't have. Yeah. Um, And so that's really where the Nuggets have a problem is that Nikola Jokic absolutely could be the best player in the West. He could be the best player in basketball. Does he want to be? Um, yeah, and will he take on the scoring burden that is required? And if not, then you definitely need somebody else on the Nuggets to step up for that. Um, and so that's really where the Nuggets have an issue. It's not necessarily about who they um, have on the team, but how many of those guys can step up into huge roles. Like, can Jamal Murray be Damian Willard or more? Can Michael Porter Jr. be Kevin Durant light? Like, are, can you get guys who are just incredible scorers, incredible leaders, incredible, like, teammates to play together cohesively and really take it up a notch? I don't know. Like, that's – we don't know that. These guys are still so young. Um, but I don't see uh, – at this point, I, they haven't hit what I would see as that that rock in the road that says, oh, we, we accidentally just capped our potential. Right now, the Nuggets' potential is still unlimited. The Nuggets' potential is still a title, uh, multiple titles. It's still it's still within their grasp. Um, they haven't traded anybody that I thought they shouldn't. They haven't given up picks, even including the Donovan Mitchell one, that I thought like completely kneecapped them. They're okay. And so now you see what they can do with it. Are there any potential landfalls that you think that they could fall into? Uh, do you think that there are situations where they could trade Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. or Bol Bol too early. Yep. Uh, so would you try to keep those guys together for as long as you can? Yep. <laughs> right. Hey, we have a championship on our on our hands, guys. I'm That's- <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I don't I don't see the thing out there that you would trade them for. Like you could add Bradley Beal if you trade Jamal Murray and MPJ, but I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's too much. That's that's like, like you, there's you, there's you, yeah. if you look around the league at what you could get for what you have, what you have is as good as what you could get, and nothing out there says that what you could get would be better with Jokic than what you have. So keep what you got, make it work. Like that's now Malone's job and Connolly's job is to surround all those guys that they have, all of those weird unicorn guys in the way that the um that the Golden State Warriors surrounded all their weird unicorn guys. You know, the weird short center who um, plays amazing defense, the the guy with the bad ankles who was the best shooter alive. Like, they made that work. They they made sure that that guy's ankles stayed good. They got him with a good fitness routine. They hired the greatest defensive head coach or the greatest defensive assistant coach in the league, you know, to turn their defense into something that was feared. Right. You know, these are the things that the Nuggets would have to do. You have to support, you know, Malone with the best coaches you can get him. You have to provide the best, you know, talents to fit what it is that you're trying to do. And so that's that's really the Nuggets' next stage. This stage could win a title this year. I don't know. No one knows. This is such a weird playoffs. But the Nuggets going forward have everything in front of them. They just have to make sure that if the guys are what they think they are, that they have, 
then you got to make sure you maximize those guys and the the players that fit around them the best. And that's what you're at. Don't crash the boat. That's going to do crash it here. The boat. That's going to do it here for this episode of the Denver Stiff Show. Really good conversation there right at the end. I, I actually really enjoyed that, Gordon. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, everybody. Thank you so much for sending in your questions. Gordon, it's a pleasure as always, man. Anything you want to talk about before we sign off? No, I already ran you over time, dude. It's fine. Like, you know, it seemed just the two of us and we talked too long, so we're good. All good. I really appreciate it. Uh, no, this has been a great conversation. So if you have any questions, make sure to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, had a good time with this one, and we will continue to provide up-to-date updates of every single thing that we can. So that's going to do it here. We will see you guys next week. Bye.